Happy Wednesday. Welcome into NSN Daily. Chris Murray, I'm Brian Samudio. Uh, plenty to talk about once again today, even though we're in a pandemic, Chris, and, and uh, we don't have sports to a certain extent. We still have plenty to talk about, which is great. Uh, Alex Margulies is going to join us here shortly to talk about road tripping through Yellowstone. Um, I've seen the pictures. I know it's rutting season up there, which means stay away from the buffalo. I mean, that could be a better no bet, right? I mean, uh, if the Buffalo are, are in that type of a mood, I don't know that I want to be driving through the area anywhere close to those guys. Yeah, I agree with you. Uh, there are some phenomenal pictures, though. I uh, edited the story this morning and put it on the website. And uh, yeah, I mean, just a, a herd of bison just sitting there uh, and then also some trying to cross the road. So really cool story on the site. And uh, looking forward to talking to Alex about his experience seeing some of that wildlife. I have to talk to somebody, maybe at National Geographic or something and find out What's more dangerous during the rutting season? Is it a moose or is it a bison? I don't know. I mean, you, you watch these videos and I don't know. It's Either way, I'd be staying out of the way. Uh, it's Wednesday, so that means uh, Murray's Mailbag. You actually put it out on a Tuesday this week because of the holiday. You don't take holidays off. Chris doesn't take days off. That doesn't happen. Colin Kaepernick is back in the NFL. Kind of. Kind of. We'll get into that. Uh, it's a video game version of Cap. Um, Maybe, I'm, I'm going to pose a question if it's too little too late right now. But uh, And uh, the Las Vegas Golden Knights looked like the Las Vegas Golden Knights uh, last night in one game, two very handily, 3 uh, nothing over Dallas to tie that series at one game apiece. But let's start off with a, a story that's on our website. Now, this came out late yesterday. The Mountain West says it's, quote, looking to identify a viable path forward to resume athletic competition. What does that even mean, Chris? I mean, I read through this and it was almost like having a meal and at the end of it, you were still hungry. Yeah, I mean, it's a fairly lengthy release. I mean, it's three paragraphs long, probably about 300 words, but I had to read it several times because I was trying to figure out exactly what they were trying to say. Uh, and it doesn't really say much, honestly. Uh, you know, it basically says, you know, we're still here. Like, don't forget about us. I know the, the Big Ten and the Pac-12 are talking about maybe playing football this fall now that the Pac-12 has, uh, you know, daily testing, and the Big Ten is getting a little bit of pressure from politicians to go out there and play. And it's like the Mountain West is like, you know, we play football too. Uh, we're looking for a viable path. So, uh, yeah, it, it doesn't say a ton outside of, oh, we might play sports at some point, uh, yeah. which we kind of all assume. So, uh, obviously, there's a big day, September 16th. That's when the NCAA Division One Council uh, all gathers and makes the ruling for when there's going to be a college basketball season. There was actually uh, also a story out there today with the ACC trying to push for an all-inclusive NCAA tournament, meaning all 353 teams would make the NCAA tournament, which would kind of be an interesting thing. So I'm kind of writing up the pros and cons of that. But, um, you know, I think it's just the Mountain West uh, kind of opening the door a little to potentially playing football this fall. I think if the Pac-12 and the Big Ten do say, okay, we're going to play in late October – I think at that point, you know, the Mountain West kind of has to get on board as well. Now, the Mountain West does have it a little bit more difficult. They obviously have three schools in California, uh, and, you know, California rules are a little bit more stricter uh, when it comes to COVID-19. And then it has a school in Hawaii where things are much more stricter with quarantine rules and things of that nature. So, uh, you know, the footprint of the Mountain West makes it difficult. The finances of being able to test your athletes really every day, which is what you need uh, if you're going to be able to stamp down some of these outbreaks. Um, also an issue bigger for the Mountain West and the Pac-12 or the Big Ten, which has much more money. But, you know, it maybe does crack the door open a little that we might be able to actually see some football before Thanksgiving Day. But, uh, you know, there, there wasn't much in that statement to really grab onto and, and make definitive uh, reads or statements off of. 
if you're the Mountain West, do you have to take 2020, kind of like all of us are taking 2020 and just say, all right, this is a different year. We're just going to have to do this differently. All right, sorry, San Jose State, Fresno State, San Diego State, Hawaii. You guys don't have the regulations in your state to compete. We're going to have to play without you. I mean, is that something that could happen? I think they'll all be in it together. I don't think you're going to any team behind but yeah you have to be creative and you have to do things differently I mean go and look at the NBA they're playing in a bubble playoff games with no fans go look at MLB they're playing seven inning games for double headers they're putting runners on second base to start extra innings uh they're using DHs in a league that they don't usually DH uh and you know you look at college basketball if they play a 353 team NCAA tournament that's something that they never would have done before so I think whatever you can do to get on the field safely and to create the kind of revenue necessary to keep the engine chugging along is what these sports leagues and what uh, NCAA is doing. So, um, yeah, it's going to be a different thing. And that would be an interesting call. Like, let's say eight of the schools in the Mountain West are ready to go uh, and the other four aren't ready to go. Uh, would they just say, you know, the heck with you guys, we're, we're going because we need the money, we need the revenue and, uh, you know, we'll be able to spread it with some of you. So, um, I don't think that they would have that mindset. They did say that it was a unanimous vote when they voted August 10th to not play any sports this fall. So I think they're trying to put on a united front, but that would be an interesting call. And I'm sure there are really a lot of squabbles behind closed doors with some schools really wanting to play and some schools not wanting to play. And, you know, they've always said that it's going to be up to the doctors on this, and the medical professionals, and that's who they cited, uh, you know, when they made that ruling on August 10th. But I don't even think the medical professionals are all on the same page because this is a very unique and different kind of uh, disease and pandemic that, um, you know, it takes science quite a while to be able to sort out exactly how dangerous things are, uh, you know, what the risk factors are. And, you know, as long as we feel like we've been going through this, it really only has been about six months. So it's not like anybody has a firm grasp on exactly what COVID-19 does to the body long term. Yeah, and you're right about different teams wanting different things. I mean, you've got Air Force that wants to play Navy and that wants to play Army and have the Commander-in-Chief's trophy. Uh, You've got rivalries that go outside of the Mountain West Conference. Luckily for Nevada, its biggest rivals are right in the Mountain West Conference and literally within driving distance of each other. But uh, if you're a coach, let's get back to the Mountain West statement. If you're a coach or an athlete at Nevada, at Boise State, at UNLV, and you look at that statement and go, what, what's your reaction to that? Because it doesn't – I know it's one of those, hey, we're still here. We're still trying to do stuff. But it doesn't tell you much. And if that's your livelihood, if you're an athlete and you're thinking, I want to play professionally someday. If you're a coach and you're like, I'm trying to get my kids on the field. I'm not trying to be insensitive to it. But what, what message is that giving you? What does it mean? That's what I would be asking my coach if I was Lawson Hall or Carson Strong. What does this statement tell me? Uh, and because that was the question that I was asking, because it doesn't say a ton outside of, yeah, we're trying, uh, you know, there are some situations that we can't overcome with testing and uh, local jurisdictions and rules. So uh, that's what I would be asking is, are we going to play? And if so, when are we going to play? And it's obviously not an answer that coaches uh, can give to their players, but that would be the thing that I would be thinking about. And, you know, I'm sure the coaches and the players all want to play for the most part. I mean, coaches are getting paid this year regardless doesn't mean that they don't want to suit up and go out there. Uh, I think the the head on the nail, uh, when you talk about the players, especially the seniors, this is their year to try and make themselves draft prospects. Like Elijah Cooks, to me, is an NFL player, um, but he might not be that in the eyes of scouts uh, or NFL teams if he doesn't get the chance to go out and play this year and show that. So this is a guy who I think 
could go have a Richard Matthews kind of NFL career where you're playing six, seven, eight years and you're making maybe 15, 20 million dollars. And if you don't get to play this year and you don't get that opportunity and you don't get to show that you are that kind of player, then just imagine how much that just changed your life. Now, the NCAA has said that, you know, seniors can come back next year in 2021. But, um, you know, some of these players may have graduated and may make that jump. Some schools may say, you know, we're going to stay with 85 scholarships and we're not bringing all of our seniors back. So I completely understand why they want to go out there and play, especially because now we are seeing FBS football games. We just watched BYU beat Navy. And you're sitting there thinking, well, you know, BYU is only, you know, six, seven hours from where I live. Why do they get to play football? And I don't get to play football. And, uh, you know, I think the Mountain West took the precautious and the safe measure and probably the right decision to not play. But no, not everybody else joined them. So now they're kind of put in a bad situation. And I'm sure the players are sitting there just, you know, feeling as if they're losing out on something that they've worked maybe their entire life to get to this point to try and show that they do belong in the pro level. We'll continue the discussion about Mountain West football and whether or not the Mountain West regrets making this decision. There's a good mailbag question that's coming up here in a couple of segments. Before we get a break, sticking with college football, the last name of Sewell has become very, very familiar with Nevada fans. Uh, all started with Gabriel Sewell. Gabe uh, decided on a radio show in Utah to choose Nevada over Colorado. He had a couple of other, other pretty, pretty good offers. Um, then Nephi Sewell decides to come to Nevada, ends up transferring and, and going, uh, going elsewhere, goes to Utah. Um, then there was Panay Sewell, who, I, I mean, I think we all thought it was a long shot. I mean, he made, Nevada, he made Nevada one of his final four, final five, along with Alabama, Oregon, and whoever. Ends up choosing Oregon, and he's an absolute behemoth. He's, what, Chris, he's got to be 6'5". I don't know what he weighs now, but I think in high school he was like 6'5", 330. And right now is considered by many to be the top offensive lineman, maybe in the country. And yesterday on social media, he announced he is opting out of this year's football season to prepare the NFL draft. I don't blame him at all because you got to worry about your future. And if your conference isn't making a decision and you know that you can control what you can control, go out, hire yourself an agent, get yourself a trainer, get yourself in the best shape possible and make yourself look as good as you can in front of NFL scouts. Am I wrong? Yeah, no, I think that was a tough decision, but I, I'm not going to fault the kid for making it. I mean, right now, I think he's number three on ESPN's big board in terms of draft, draft prospects for the 2021 draft. So what, what, how can he improve that? I mean, he would probably go number one if Trevor Lawrence wasn't in this draft. I mean, this right. is a, as a sophomore won the Outland Trophy Award uh, for best lineman. Nobody had ever done that before in the history of the Outland Trophy. He was the first Polynesian to ever win the award. Uh, I think he's given up one sack in two seasons. Uh, you know, he was number one rated pro football focused offensive lineman last year in college as a true sophomore, as a young guy. Um, this guy is ready for the NFL right now. And I'm sure he would have loved to have played his junior season if it had been a normal year. But, you know, let's say the Pac-12 does play in the spring like it currently plans. If they start the season in March. They're going to be playing when the NFL draft goes on. Uh, that's just a weird situation to put yourself in. I know they do that in the MLB draft, but there's way less chance of injury in, in playing college baseball as opposed to college football. So um, yeah, I'm sure he's disappointed because he legitimately, I know like offensive linemen don't get votes for the Heisman Trophy, but I know he did get a first place vote last year from Bruce Feldman. This is a guy who would have been college's best or second or third best player this year and get that opportunity to play. So I, I don't mind him doing that. I know that there was an anonymous quote from a GM saying that players who don't play in 2020 college football uh, will not be graded or thought of as highly as players who do play. 
But this kid is still going to go in the top five for sure. I mean, he is a 15-year starter at left tackle yeah. in the NFL if he doesn't get hurt. And nothing about him not playing this year is going to change that. Yep, you took the words out of my mouth. He is a starting left tackle in the NFL for basically almost any team in the NFL, unless you already have, you know, somebody at left tackle who is a Joe Staley. Uh, Niners went out and got Trent Williams, so the Niners are probably not going to go after him. But unless they say, hey, we're going to move you over once we decide. But, yeah, I, I, think, he's, I think he's one of those guys that's going to play a long time. He's going to make a lot of money. And you're thinking about family. You're thinking about your livelihood. And, uh, yeah, so Panay Sewell uh, declaring that he is opting out of the 20. 20- 21 football season. So I'm not going to see him play for the Oregon Ducks this year. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, we will go road tripping to Yellowstone with Alex Margulies. That's coming up. Road tripping is sponsored by Sprads RV and Christensen Automotive. What makes Yellowstone so special is the fact that it's got this amazing amount of unique features. There's a little bit of everything. You've got geysers, you have hot springs, you have canyons, waterfalls, lakes. You have large herds of game, all in one area that is about the size of Connecticut, all in one spot. With 24 hours slated to visit this enormous national park, we began our journey from the west entrance at West Yellowstone, Montana and made our way to the eastern part of the Grand Loop, a 142-mile section of Yellowstone. Our first stop was a visit to some of the iconic waterfalls at the Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone. Grand Canyon of the Yellowstone is an amazing canyon that people overlook simply because they think Grand Canyon in Arizona. The one here in Yellowstone Park was created by an amazing water erosion that didn't happen over that long a period of time. The ground at the Grand Canyon is hydrothermally altered rock. It's rock that's been cooked and softened by hot springs. It cooked, softened the rock, and after it did that, the rivers came through and carved it over a short period of time, geologically just a blink of an eye. Just a short drive to the south, our next stop was at one of the park's wildlife hotspots, Hayden Valley. Hayden Valley is the biggest valley in Yellowstone Park. It is home to the bison, it is home to elk, it's home to wolves today. During our visit, we observed several massive herds of bison throughout the valley, some causing traffic jams, others meandering through the beautiful Yellowstone River. And we were lucky to be there during the bison rut, an annual mating period typically lasting from June through September. Our final stop on day one was at the Grant Campground to spend the night. And just a short walk away was Yellowstone Lake, which put on a magical sunset show to cap off our first day inside this amazing national park. Next time on Road Trip, and we continue at Yellowstone National Park as we will show you the geothermal areas, including one of the most famous geysers in the world, Old Faithful, as well as the Grand Prismatic Spring. If you want to get on the road with your family this summer, go check out Sprad's RV's amazing selection of luxury trailers down on South Virginia Street. Until next time, I'm Alex Margulies. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Alex Margulies joining us uh, for this segment. Uh, Yellowstone National Park is bucket list material for anybody out. I remember my family when I was very, very young. We went on a cross-country trip for a family reunion way back in the south. And on the way back, we were supposed to go through Yellowstone. But ironically, kind of like this year, there were a bunch of fires. And it was closed. You couldn't get into the place. 
um, you were able to get through Yellowstone and uh, just just driving through the gates, driving through. What, what's it like? Yeah, let me know. It's uh, it's just such a unique place, and it, it makes sense why it was designated as the world's very first national park back in 1872. When you consider the diversity of their terrain and how big it is, uh, you heard there in the piece, it's the size of Connecticut, and that's how big Yellowstone National Park is. It's massive. It's so hard to get through, and you'd have to spend several days to, to see most of it, and there's still so many areas that uh, would be kind of hidden to you. Um, but th I think the thing that stands out right away, guys, it's just the diversity of the terrain. Um, you've got a massive area of geysers and, and boiling pots, and, and we'll show you more of that uh, later on when we get into the second half of Yellowstone. But there are more geysers in that one area in Yellowstone Park combined than anywhere else in the world or anywhere else in the world combined have less geysers than Yellowstone has right there. Um, that's just how incredible the terrain is. You've got waterfalls, you've got canyons, you've got uh, wild game uh, with, with the bison, and you saw those guys running around, and, and uh, it was their mating season, which was just fascinating to observe and watch them chasing each other and, and rolling around, and, and uh, just a very fascinating kind of place to be. So I understand why it's on a lot of people's bucket lists. One thing you have to understand when you go there, it's going to be very crowded, and you have to kind of just deal with that. If you have time, to kind of get off the beaten path a little bit and get away from just that grand loop, I, I would recommend it. I didn't get a chance to do that, and I would love to go back and, and see some of more of the lesser traveled areas of the park and, and maybe some areas that you have a little bit more to yourself, but uh, definitely left a, a pretty neat impression. You obviously have all the natural terrain like the Grand Canyon, the boiling pots, as you mentioned, uh, gigantic waterfalls. You also have the wildlife, which part of your story kind of went into. There was obviously the bison. Did you see anything uh, else in terms of animals that was kind of interesting or something that you hadn't really seen before in your life? You know, nothing that I'd never seen before in my life, but I think it's just the access uh, to the wildlife is so cool. I mean, you're driving through Hayden Valley and, and uh, you know, I'm sure many of you seen the video, there's kind of traffic jams with bison crossing the road. But, you know, being in Hayden Valley, I've never obviously been to some place like the Serengeti, but you, you just think of like places in the world where there's just massive um, herds of game. And it was so cool watching them moving through the Yellowstone River. And, and, you know, bison aren't exactly that unique now. I mean, you can see them at zoos and, you know, they're not hard to find, I guess, in a sense, but seeing them in this kind of natural habitat. And one thing I didn't really get to go into in that piece is the interesting thing about the bison in Yellowstone Park. At one point, bison, I believe there are millions of them in North America. Settlers came in, whatever happened, basically killed off the bison to like a couple hundred. And the bison in Yellowstone National Park were the last ones left. And they repopulated the entire country, the entire North America with that one group of bison from Yellowstone National Park. So if you see bison like in New York or in somewhere in the Plains, 99% chance they came and originated from Yellowstone National Park and some of the conservation efforts that they did there. So I thought it was kind of cool to see bison in their most natural habitat. Like I said, moving through the river, uh, going through their mating season. Um, you know, that was fascinating. I wanted to see wolves. That is something that was going on while we were there. Um, unfortunately, that didn't take place. But, you know, wolves have been reintroduced there as well after they were kind of killed off at one point. So that's been a really big thing 
for the Yellowstone area. Um, I did see a pretty decent sized elk, you know, big, big bull horns and, and, and uh, that was pretty neat. Um, but, but the vast majority of the, the wildlife I saw there and in Grand Teton, we kind of struck out, didn't get to see any moose. We did go on kind of a moose hunting deal. Uh, we didn't see any bears. We were going, going around kind of looking for bears with a wildlife guide. Uh, didn't, didn't luck out with either of those, but plenty of bison and, and uh, got to observe them a bunch. Alex Margulies joining us here on NSN Daily talking about uh, road tripping through Yellowstone. Alex, I used to do a series called Nevada Proud years ago, and we would go around to state parks here in the state of Nevada. And the park rangers and the guides are so knowledgeable and passionate about their location, big or small. They want to tell you everything about it. I would imagine Yellowstone, it's to the brim when it comes to guides and rangers. That would actually, that has to be the major leagues. If you are, you know, a park ranger or a guide or a wildlife specialist, that has to be the cream of the crop, the top that you can do when it comes to educating people, mm -hmm. the average person about just how special that place is. I thought that was really cool. I didn't get to interact with a lot of the rangers, I think, because of COVID. They weren't as accessible, but we were fortunate enough uh, when we went down to Grand Teton National Park, we partnered uh, with a company called Jackson Hole Wildlife Safaris. And our guide, Lee Ramella, uh, had spent 20 years of his life living at Yellowstone National Park. The amount of stuff that he had seen over the years and the stories that he told us gave us such an unbelievable context of the Yellowstone area, the Grand Teton area. And you heard from Lee there in our piece. Um, it, it was so cool to get his perspective and the understanding of the park and, and I would really recommend if you're going to go up to one of those places doing one of these wildlife safaris with one of these guys as you said it's such a cool experience because they can really teach you so much about the area so much about the animals you know I, I think if I would have gone up there and just kind of looked at stuff I wouldn't have had nearly the appreciation for the area for the conservation efforts for the way it's laid out um, just such a fascinating deal and, and uh, you know thanks to Lee and, and Jackson Hole Wildlife Safaris, you're gonna check them out. They do service both of those national parks and, and would be a great resource uh, to take you around and, and show you all the sites and tell you all about it. How long would you uh, say somebody should plan for to go to Yellowstone? How many days do they need to spend there to see everything that you would like to see? Obviously there are four entrances and it's huge, goes through multiple states. Um, it just seems like that's, that's not a thing where you go for two days and you, you're you know satisfied that you got to see everything. Yeah, I mean, you certainly could spend a week there if you wanted to. And there were families there camping for the week and they kind of make it a yearly thing. And, you know, there's so much to see. I guess my answer to that question would depend on what else you're going to do, because I think you would be really, uh, it would be really unfortunate to go to that area and only go to Yellowstone. And I think a lot of people do that. You got to go to the area and you've got to go to Grand Teton National Park. You have to go down to Jackson. So I think making sure you encompass kind of all three of those locations in one trip to me, I think is, is something you don't want to miss. Um, because those second places I talked about Grand Teton and Jackson are just so spectacular. And the Grand Teton range is, is so breathtaking and the lakes there are so just gorgeous that you wouldn't want to miss it. But if you had the time to do both and you were going to spend time in Yellowstone, I would for sure give yourself a full two to three days. You know, I, I had about 24 hours, um, and we crammed in as much as I could and, and saw a lot of the major sites. Now, I was prohibited from filming in a lot of areas, so that kind of nixed a lot of my decision-making when it came to not going to certain areas of the park and maybe not putting in the effort to go and see even more because I couldn't film it. Um, 
but it's cool because now if I go back and, and, and I want to make another trip up there, I know for sure, like next time I want to go to Lamar Valley. You know, it's very similar to Hayden. It's a little bit further away. It's harder to get to, but the wildlife there is supposed to be great. I think you have a better chance of seeing bears and wolves in Lamar Valley. Uh, I would want to go up to Mammoth Hot Springs, which is in the northern part of Yellowstone National Park at the northern entrance near Gardner, Montana. Um, so right off the top, those would be two places. And then, you know, as I was kind of getting around, I had a conversation with somebody who was camping and she was like, you know, you wouldn't believe how many hidden waterfalls there are here in Yellowstone. And if you just go kind of off-roading a little bit down this trail and you hike a little bit, you can get a waterfall all to yourself instead of really being uh, in the crowd. So, um, you know, give yourself a couple of days for sure, but don't miss, you know, kind of experiencing that whole area if you're going to make the effort to drive up there. Alex Margulies has been working on this series road tripping for literally months, three trips. Are you done yet? You still got something in the bucket for us? You know, as of right now, I think this is it. But uh, without sports, who knows? Maybe they'll surprise me and tell me to hit the road again. Um, you know, who's, who knows how this goes? Maybe in, in the, in the wintertime, uh, we, we travel around and do some ski stuff if, if there's no sports to cover. But for right now, uh, I, th I think we're calling it quits for the, for the summer. I think um, – it's a project a lot of people have been excited about, and I think they'd like to see it come back next year. So, you know, we'll, we'll continue doing this uh, into the future. And that's been a neat part of the COVID shutdown is, is an opportunity to, to do some new projects. And this has definitely been kind of my baby uh, this summer and, and uh, fortunate to get a chance to do these trips. And, and you know, I, 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 the thing that's really meant a lot to me the most is, is getting texts from people, getting phone calls, getting uh, emails, people reaching out to me and saying, hey, I saw what you guys did on Twin Falls. I, I'm going to go there next weekend with my family. I thought that was so cool. You know, hey, we saw you guys in Jackson. I, I really want to go check out Jackson and Grand Teton. What do you recommend? And, and so I think the fact that, you know, some people are watching the show and being inspired by it, that means a lot to me. And I think that's one of the coolest aspects of doing this show is, is maybe giving some people of ideas of places they can go or realizing that maybe they're a little more accessible than they thought and inspiring some people in their own trips this summer. I don't know, Chris. I just got an email here. Uh, request for exploring our backyard, Turtle Bay, North Shore, and Mauna Loa. <laughs> uh, am I supposed to approve that? Is, that? is that on our list? Hey, man, uh, you know, if we can find an airline sponsor, once the islands open up, we could do a road trip and out, to, out to the chain. You know, we could, we could do a little exploring out there. You know, I wouldn't mind that. I might not come back. <laughs> Alex Margulies with Road Trip. And if you want to check out the full series, all three trips, just go to our website. That's NevadaSportsNet.com. Alex, appreciate the time, man. Great job. Thanks, guys. All right, coming up next here on NSN Daily, we will dive into Murray's mailbag from football to barbecue. The questions are coming up next. It is Wednesday, and that means time for Murray's mailbag. Every single Sunday, Chris will open up the mailbag on Twitter at ByChrisMurray and answer your questions. Uh, gets tons of them every single week. Uh, how many questions or how many words this time around, Chris? A little under 3,000, so it was one of the shorter ones, and uh, I didn't have any issues with that because we were also distance learning at home when I was writing this up yesterday. So a little bit shorter, but there was some good stuff in there. Professor Murray always with uh, different responsibilities other than what we ask him for. Let's dive right in and start with Matt Turley at Turd16. Uh, do you think the Mountain West has any regrets of canceling the football season? My short answer is yeah, yeah, I think so. 
Yeah, I think so. I think the biggest misstep in the whole process was that they canceled the season 48 days before the first games were going to be played. So, um, you know, I think it was just too premature to make that decision because you didn't have all of the information. Were you going to be able to get better testing at a cheaper price that was more rapid with responses if you waited a couple of weeks? Uh, could you have waited to see what other conference did, uh, conferences did to make sure that maybe you could kind of follow their system? Could you, you know, give it a couple of weeks with students back on campuses uh, and see how that was impacting your football players and whether their test numbers went up as well. So, um, you know, I think they probably thought they were going to be one of the first dominoes to fall and they were all going to fall. Uh, unfortunately for the Mountain West, they didn't all fall. The SEC, the Big 12, the ACC all stood firm. And then three of the group of five uh, conferences also did. So, um, you know, I think they were trying to get out in front of things and look like they were kind of pioneering the decision because it looked like the Big 10 and the Pac-12 were not going to play this year. But, um, you know, I think they pulled that trigger just a little bit too quickly. And I'm sure, uh, as we noted in the first segment, seeing other teams play football this year has to be really heartbreaking for the players and the coaches. Yeah, I, I really think the Mountain West, like, I agree. I think the trigger was pulled too quickly. And I really think the Mountain West had an opportunity here to make a statement and say, you know what, we're not going to be pressured by these bigger, these bigger conferences. We can make our own decision and go off of a model and say, okay, we're going to do nothing but conference games and we'll do it within a bubble, whatever you're going to do. I mean, you can't do it within a bubble, but maybe even, okay, we're going to split it and you guys just play your own, whatever, just something different and in a forward thinking matter you know we had talked about maybe you play teams and it's just by a bus you're not putting your kids on a plane and it's within 500 miles you know and just to get games in in the fall because i think i think pack fans or any fans in the mountain west would have rather seen a six game season a seven game whatever and, a, and maybe a championship game rather than nothing you know but uh I'm not in the boardroom, and there's a reason reason for that. Uh, I also think it, it depends on what happens, though. Like if uh, an SEC player dies, then they're not going to regret the decision at all. We've already seen yeah. a Division three football player pass away. Now, he didn't contract it while in practice. He wasn't on campus, but um, he had underlying conditions because he was an offensive lineman who had a lot of weight on him. So, um, you know, it just depends on what happens over the next three or four months to really uh, decide whether they did make the right decision or not. Good question here from Jared, who always has uh, some good ones for us. Who's the greatest pitcher never to win a World Series? Greatest hitter to never win a World Series? Greatest hitter, right off the top of my head, I got that one. Greatest yeah. pitcher, you did some digging, and, and I did not realize these uh, the numbers. Yeah, so Barry Bonds will do the position player first. I think uh, the steroid version of Barry Bonds is the greatest baseball player we've ever seen. He was insanely ridiculous. Uh, only got to one World Series, and he was amazing in that World Series. He had 30 plate appearances, and he got on base 21 times. Hit four home runs, two doubles, 12 walks. Uh, his OPS was almost 2,000. Uh, unfortunately, the Giants did lose that 2002 World Series um, to the Angels. Uh, it was a you know bad ending to that. But um, he, he is by far the best. And kind of shows you between Barry Bonds and Mike Trout, who I think will end up being two of the five best baseball players ever, those two are combined two and eight in playoff series. So it just shows you how much of a team game baseball is in terms of position players going over to the pitcher's side. Uh, I put it between Phil Necro and Gaylord Perry. So Phil Necro pitched 24 seasons in the big leagues, never made it to a World Series. That's the longest career without playing in a World Series. He only had two uh, postseason appearances that he pitched in. He was a Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star. And then Gaylord Perry is the other one that I went with. He played 22 seasons, never made it to a World Series, also only pitched in two postseason games. Uh, two-time Cy Young Award winner, Hall of Famer, five-time All-Star. He was actually given a ring by the Giants 
after the Giants won the 2010 World Series. So I'm going with Phil Negro because Gaylord Perry did get a ring, even though he didn't uh, actually play for the team that did win that World Series. Back when pitchers used to throw the knuckleball prevalently, and and I don't, I mean, there there weren't very many that were better than than uh, uh, anybody by the last name of Phil Negro. Of course, the Negro brothers, both amazing. Uh, at Mailbag question, are Nevada and UNLV the farthest apart in state rivals in the NCAA? Top of my head, I was like, yeah. I mean, you look at Duke in North Carolina and they can see each other from each other, mm. from, from where they're at, but uh, that's not the case. Yeah, I had to pull up the map and do some uh, Google searches. Uh, it's close. Uh, Nevada and UNLV, Reno and Las Vegas, about 440 miles apart from each other. The only rivalry I found that was longer uh, within the same state, which was uh, part of the question, was Miami, Florida, and Florida State. So they're 482 miles apart from each other, so about 42 additional miles uh, obviously, Miami is in the city of Miami. Florida State is all the way up there in Tallahassee near the Panhandle. So not quite. Uh, I came uh, up with second place for the Silver State, Miami and Florida State, just uh, uh, basically a drive from here to Carson City longer than uh, Las Vegas. Yeah, of course, you have to listen to the entire question before you start yelling at us about distance between rivalries, in-state rivalries. Um, I said barbecue. Greg Wood, what's on the grill today and who has the best barbecue in Reno? Um, So we did barbecue. We didn't barbecue on Monday, but we actually got a package from uh, Snake River Farms. So we got a coupon when we bought a Traeger about a year ago and I hadn't looked at it. So Snake River Farms up there by Boise and they kind of like on Omaha Steaks, they send you uh, whatever you order and we got a tri-tip, a flank steak and a skirt steak and it was it was awesome. We marinated it uh, for a couple of days and something that we bought from Sprouts. So uh, that was great. Uh, I cannot recommend Snake River Farms higher. Uh, they're not a sponsor or anything like that. So it's a legitimate endorsement. In terms of best barbecue in Reno, I, I went with BJ's Barbecue out there in Sparks. Uh, it's been a while since I've been able to go there, obviously, with the pandemic. But, uh, you know, they obviously have great meats and a lot of great sides when you think of barbecue. And it's it's been around for a long, long time, a uh, family, locally owned place as well. I barbecued last night, grilled some asparagus, loin steak that had been marinating for about 36 hours. I, I, I never go less than 24 if I can. Kinder's garlic, a little Worcestershire, some, um, some horseradish in there. And then Kinder's has a, a dry rub that I throw in there and just let it sit. Just let mm-hmm. it sit for a couple of days and it's just beautiful. Um, in town though, I will go with Charbecue. I'll go with the butchers, butchers down there at uh, Charbecue Butcher's Kitchen and uh, their tri-tip sandwiches. It's absolutely ridiculous. If you want to be part of the mailbag, you can join Chris on Twitter. Follow him at ByChrisMurray, and every single Sunday he will open up the mailbag. Coming up next here on NSN Daily, Colin Kaepernick is back in the NFL, and as I said, kind of. We'll explain next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Uh, This saga continues, and I don't, uh, you know, people are on both sides of this. Some people are are just irrelevant on it, don't care. They, some people do care deeply about it. Um, it was announced that Colin Kaepernick is going to be involved in and included in the new Madden video game. And I mean, Madden, I, I, I can't tell you how many you know, 15 to 25 year olds you see. I remember lining up at Walmart at midnight because I'd be there to get like the Walking Dead season or something like that. And all these guys are in there buying Madden and I just never got it. I wasn't a big video game guy. But Chris, when you saw this was announced, I just want your initial thoughts. I'm not even going to put anything out there. Your initial thoughts. 
Uh, no, it's cool. Uh, so yeah, Madden's making him a free agent in the game. They hadn't the last three years because they didn't have the rights to his likeness because he wasn't part of the Players Association because he wasn't in the NFL. So they negotiated a side deal to be able to use his likeness. So he's obviously going to get paid a little bit for that. Um, I thought the interesting part was they made him the 15th highest rated quarterback in the league. So, uh, you know, he's rated higher than guys like Cam Newton or Ryan Tannehill or Baker Mayfield, Kyler Murray, Jared Goff, Teddy Bridgewater, Joe Burrow. I mean, those guys, you know, are making huge amounts of money. Uh, he has an 81 overall rating out of 100. And the last time he did play in the NFL, he had the 16th highest quarterback rating. So I guess that kind of makes sense to put him there. Um, but yeah, I, I thought it was interesting that he was included. I think it was cool that he was included. And, um, you know, obviously, I don't think he's ever going to play in the NFL again, but it at least gives gamers the opportunity to, you know, add him to their team, sign him as a free agent in Madden, and kind of go from there. Is this too little too late? Is this a great gesture in the right direction? Um, I, I'm still trying to kind of figure out where I'm, where I'm landing on this because of, you know, kind of the complete 180 that we've seen the NFL do with Cap. Well, yeah, I mean, you also saw Madden take his name out of two songs that were in, I believe, the 2018 version of the game. They took his names out of songs that were pretty well popularized, and uh, they came back and said, oh, that was a mistake by our because we didn't think we could use his name because his name wasn't uh, part of the likeness and image that I had previously mentioned. So I think they probably censored those uh, on purpose and then tried to find an escape hatch on why they did it. Um, generally speaking, I understand Colin Kaepernick is a lightning rod. I just kind of get upset when people say he's not good enough to play in the NFL. I mean, this guy, the, uh, you look at his quarterback rating, it's the 24th best in the history of NFL football. You look at his interception percentage, the fourth best in the history of NFL football. Uh, led his team to two NFC championship games, led his team within uh, a couple of yards of winning a Super Bowl. Uh, that doesn't even take into account the amazing legs that he has. When he was healthy at the end of that 2016 season, his last five games, he had a quarterback rating above 105 after having three offseason surgeries to his shoulder, to his ankle, uh, to his knee, to his wrist. So um, this is a guy who is one of the 25 best quarterbacks on the world uh, when he was playing in 2016. Now, would he be that now with this much time off? I don't know, but I just feel like it's intellectually dishonest when people say he's not good enough in the NFL. If he's being blackballed because of politics or because of what he might do financially to your organization, uh, I can live with that argument. I can't live with the argument that he's not good enough to play in the NFL. And that's usually the thing that upsets me the most is people want to whitewash what he did in the NFL because they don't like his message. But this guy is good enough to play in the league. I think people forget how bad the offensive line was when, when Colin Kaepernick was playing, the lack of targets that he had uh, and that sort of thing as well. But, um, yeah, either way, uh, no matter what side you come down on, uh, you, can, uh, you can sign Colin Kaepernick. If you, uh, if you play Madden this year, you can sign Cap uh, an 81 rating. Uh, you know what, they're, uh, they're giving him some, some respect, even though he hasn't played in a few years. But uh, very, very interesting to see that development. Coming up next year on NSN Daily, the Las Vegas Golden Knights, as I said, looked like the Golden Knights and uh, took game two from the Dallas Stars. We'll break that down next. Welcome back into NSN Daily. Uh, Stanley Cup playoffs going on inside a bubble, and I think they've been pretty efficient about it. They've, they've done a pretty good job with it. It's, it's, a, it's an entertaining product. I've been watching it. Hope you've been watching it as well at home. Um, and the, uh, yeah, the Las Vegas Golden Knights even things up. 3-0 victory over the Dallas Stars on Tuesday night, Chris. 
Yeah, scored three goals in basically a 10-minute span in the second quarter. Thought it was interesting that they did switch their goalie again. They went back to Robin Lehner between the pipes, and uh, he pitched a shutout. They actually chased Dallas's starting goaltender. So it's kind of interesting that they are using both of their goalies. You, you really never see that during a deep playoff run, but it's working so far for the Knights. Uh, you know, the offense came around a little bit. The defense was great. The goaltending was great as well. So I think this is going to be a long series. I'd be surprised if it doesn't at least go six games. It will probably go seven games. But I think it was important for the Knights to go out and get this and not go down 2-0. I mean, they certainly could have come back from that deficit. But, uh, you know, they give themselves a little bit more margin for error moving forward. And uh, we'll see who they continue to put in uh, at goalie. I mean, I guess at this point, you would expect both of the goalies to play uh, for the remainder of the series. It's funny to me because this is the way the playoffs go sometimes. You know, the, the Knights had a few days off. They looked, the word that I had heard the most was listless in game one. And, and they kind of did. I mean, they really didn't turn it on until the third period. They weren't putting the puck on goal like they had been. Um, but yeah, changing up goalies, that's going to be drama as we continue here. But now uh, I'm curious to see how the Dallas Stars react after being punched in the mouth. Yeah, I mean, it's a very good team. I think they're going to come back and they're going to play well and Vegas is going to play well. And, you know, like with playoff hockey, it'll come down to a deflection here or there and who has the better uh, goaltending. Uh, and, you know, I, I was kind of reminiscing about my Kings and their playoff runs back in the day. I mean, they were down 3-0 in a series in the first round against the Sharks. They came back and won. They were down 3-2 against the Ducks in the next round. They came back and won. They needed a, a Game 7 goal in the Western Conference Finals in overtime against the Blackhawks to move into the Stanley Cup Finals. So uh, it's just fun. Playoff hockey is fun because literally any team can win because it does come down to that goaltending and a couple of deflections here and there. Your team could look horrible like the Kings did early against the Sharks in that, that series and then come back and play like nobody can beat them. So that, that's the most fun about playoff hockey is it's not always the best team comes out on top. This isn't the NBA uh, where you can almost always predict which team's going to win. It's just kind of, uh, you know, whoever, whoever gets the, the good fortune. Game three of the Knights and the Stars will be 5 p.m. on Thursday night. That'll be on NBCSN. And then Saturday night's game four, 5 p.m. You can see that on our sister station, News 4, Knights and Stars, game four, Saturday night playoff hockey. We'll be right back here on NSN Daily to wrap things up after this. Wrapping things up here on NSN Daily. Thank you to Alex Margulies for joining us, uh, talking road tripping at Yellowstone, uh, NevadaSportsNet.com if you want to check that out. Chris, I'm sorry, man. I, I love the fact that I've been waking up in the morning and it's nice and cool outside. I've got 30 seconds left in show. Are you one of those guys who's ready for fall? Yeah, for sure. Uh, the dog walks haven't been as great. I'm usually out on the road by 6 a.m. walking the dog and I didn't bring a sweatshirt yesterday, but I remember to today. So I do like the cooling down period quite a bit. All right, that'll do it for us here on NSN Daily. For Chris Murray and Anthony Resnick, directing the spy in the scenes, I'm Brian Samudio. Thank you very much for being with us. We will see you on Thursday. Go out and have a great day.